This is ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. Welcome to this episode. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Sustain, a community of open source enthusiasts and professionals that care about the future of open source. Learn more at sustainoss.org. On the panel today are Kate Stewart. Hi, George. I'm Kate Stewart. I've worked at the Linux Foundation working on strategic programs and have been involved in chaos since pretty much the starting point when we were all meeting together to figure out how we actually start to pull this information together and obviously a big fan, as well as wanting to make sure we can understand what's happening. Matt Germanprey. Hi everybody, I'm Matt Germanprey. I am a professor at the University of Nebraska at Omaha in the College of Information Science and Technology. And I am also one of the founding members of the Chaos Project and Kate, I would certainly say you were, you were there from the very beginning. <laughs> And myself, Georg Link. Hi, everyone. Good to be with you again. I'm also one of the co-founders of the Chaos Project. I work at Liturgia right now. And I'm excited to have two guests today, Stefka Dimitrova and Vana Atanosova, who work at VMware. And they gave an interesting presentation at the Open Source Summit Europe last year about some analytics they did on open source communities and metrics. And so that is what we invited them here to talk about. But before we dive into the metrics piece and analytics, maybe the two of you can introduce yourself. Stefka, do you want to go first? Thanks, Carol. Thanks for the introduction and for the invitation to join the Chaos Cast and I'm, as you introduced us, we're working at VMware. I'm a program manager in the open source program office. And my focus is exactly the project health of the VMware originated projects. And that's also inspired us for the talk that we've delivered and for other presentations and blog posts on the topic. And yeah, besides that, I have various different interests and I try to apply the learnings from one area that I'm interested in into also others and see a lot of good things to use and compare. Hi, and thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to join and I'm happy that we can share our experience and share our work with Chaos. I'm, uh, I'm Ivana Tanasova, as Georg already presented. Me, I'm a software engineer from VMware's open source program office. I've been there for three years now. And last year I joined the Augur project as a contributor in order to help our program office in their work with metrics and project health evaluation. And I'd be happy to share what I learned from being part of that community. Yeah, thank you, both of you, for joining us. And I would love to hear about the, your engagement with Augur later on as well. Can you maybe summarize real quick, what did you talk about at the presentation that we saw 
last year with the metrics. Why did you do the analytics on open source communities and with what goals did you have in mind and how did you go about doing it? Yeah, if you allow me to start first. We've been discussing the various different reasons for projects to be abandoned or get into deprecated mode, which was one of my focus of the work uh, as I started with Tinder Open Source Program Office. And we wanted to drive the also some conclusions and see the relations between the reasons for projects to get abundant and metrics that or health indicators that we can monitor on a regular basis to prevent this or to help develop some more healthy habits and best practices to work with the projects. And it was really interesting to compare our observations with the results and the sharings from other colleagues about common reasons for projects to fail, and then to look into the metrics that we have on a regular basis for our projects and see that we are mostly focused on the same areas. And that's what we are bringing the attention of the maintainers of the projects to that particular areas. And I also have the other point of view as developer, In my time in the open source program office, we've been evaluating which projects to contribute to, which projects would be valuable, which projects we would advise our teams within the company to depend on and which not. And we evaluate some specifics of projects, whether they hide risks to depend on or not. And I had the other perspective of things that are good to observe when looking at software and an open source project. And we combined those points of view and many of the things that we observe actually cover with what Chaos already has documented. So we found out that it would be good to share and to combine our knowledge with Stefka and share that with the wider community on the conference. So this is Matt, this is great. So I I chatted down like four different things that I would love to ask questions about, but maybe I'll just start with one or two. So Stefka, you had mentioned taking a look at, at projects, trying to identify common reasons why they might fail. Could you talk a little bit more about what that might be, what you've observed over time in this area? Sorry, can I jump in and also ask, what does it mean to you that a project fails? Yeah, that's a very good point to start. And I actually wanted to elaborate on that, that the first assumptions that I probably started with was looking into inactive projects and we did it within the team. And that's also what we've discussed with Ivana and what was really great to see her experience from the developers point of view of a contributor or contributing to certain projects. And on the other hand, mine is in terms of monitoring a large portfolio of projects that I looked into the inactive projects and tried to figure out which of them are really some projects that don't have any more maintainers or won't be developed further for various different reasons and making sure that's communicated correctly to the community. So it's visible, they are archived. Uh, README is updated, so all of that. And of course, my focus at first were projects within VMware, but then I got interested in just looking into the data of many more companies and GitHub overall. 
And that changed a bit my perception of what uh, you ask what failing is. That doesn't really mean failing. It's just inactive or abandoned project. But in the broader sense, this is also, and it's some of my recent observations as I've gone into more details after the talk as well, is that it's part of the game, if I can say, as open source is uh, innovation and it boosts innovation and people have the freedom to experiment and play with new ideas. Part of it is that not all of that great ideas would end up being relevant and being in with the right technology or right architecture. It's pretty normal and healthy that part of well, some percentage of the new projects won't get developed any further. So that's really the most common reason that it, they are not relevant anymore. But there are also some other reasons, such as some reorganization changes, maintainers moved to different roles for different positions, and such reasons might be prevented. So contributor risk as a metric is something that can be observed more detailed, and then it, this can be avoided. Just to give an example of something that can be monitored in advance. Or um, talking with our colleagues as we did that first with Ivana before starting our preparation for the talk. Some have shared experience of working to communities which weren't really great in developing inclusive environments. So there were some interpersonal conflicts or other unpleasant experience. And that was some reason for them not to continue working in such environments. So that's also another example of things that can be prevented. How long does it take before you actually consider a project to be inactive? What was the threshold you were using? We start, of course, it, as with every metric, you really know it's so subjective, so you can't apply it to everything. But in order to filter out and look into more details, first, uh, like the first criteria was no activity for the last year. And then we would shorten the period, of course, or of course, in some of the cases, there was some logical explanations why there were no updates and the project wasn't pushed for the last year. No changes were pushed for the last year. Mm -hmm. Things like that have been around for a long time and just keep working and no one's finding bugs. That's a very good example. Yeah, okay, very <laughs> and, good. Yeah, and there are plenty of them, of course. <laughs> I would also like to add, as you asked, how we would define a failure of a project. As a developer, someone who would start a project or adopt it, I would say that big success for a project is to be widely adopted and a failure would be that it doesn't have adoption and it just fails to be recognized and to grow. And not just abandoned, but not finding the people that find it valuable. So how are you measuring adoption? Stars on GitHub repos or downloads? How much information can you find and were you using in your analysis? We call these stars a dummy metric. I mean that yeah, it's nice that your project has a bunch of stars, but it's not something that talks so much about health and success. And the yeah, adoption is something that can hardly be measurable because uh, I, I don't uh, know a way, maybe there exists some way, but don't know an automated way to find how much project use this has dependency. 
I have some colleagues that work on that and maybe they had some progress, just didn't discuss that and don't know much information. But yeah, there are some things that are obvious, like, for example, Kubernetes, we know how widely it's used and it's very easy to say that it has huge adoption. And there are some starting projects that have interest, join, for example, some projects, join a foundation, start raising interest. And when you join meetings or discussions with uh, end users, they are worried whether someone else have already adopted that and uh, they are worried whether to take the risk to depend on it. And it's a more non-automated way to find this information. Uh, yeah, I can. I uh, have, uh, an automated solutions, maybe. Yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, I wanted to just yeah confirm that it's really the way we do it's not really automated. From my experiences, it's really with the conversation with the key stakeholders. So uh, doing interviews with the maintainers at first, as they have most of the impression of. But the other way to, of course, and one of the questions in these interviews is, of course, how many contributors do we have outside of the company and outside of the team? And that's the first thing to recognize whether there is a community around. Of course, again, it's objective. There are projects which they have specifics and they have their level of maturity don't allow them or they don't focus at first of growing their community. So that needs to be observed as well when comparing then the data. Looking at possible automations for adoption and maybe even popularity, one thing that I saw in the LFX Insights platform that the Linux Foundation launched not too long ago is they're integrating data from press releases and they're planning to include Twitter chatter to see whether projects are being mentioned and they even have a score for like share of voice to see how frequently a project gets being mentioned. Is that something you would see as something you would use in this analysis maybe? Yeah, for sure. Hearing the project mentioned uh, means a lot, means that it raises interest and it gives some information I'm not sure if it gives uh, enough information because, for example, some new and very interesting project may appear that provides a solution in an area that does not hit such yet. And uh, people might raise a lot of interest. There might be a lot of uh, tweets on that, a lot of discussions, but still this does not guarantee that uh, it's adopted. And it gives a sign that it might be, and there is an interest. For example, I can share a use case when you, you raise a project, you start with a big idea, you have fa some funds that sponsor it at the beginning, you work on it and it uh, reaches a high popularity, but it takes time for it to get ready for being used in production, for example, or even in some experimental tools and solutions and your funds before you get to that stage and not be able to find enough contributors by that time. And if it got so popular, it you still have some situations when you have risks that becoming popular does not mean that you're already 
adopt it and you're at the stage of uh, being ready for adoption. And you need to have enough starting time to be sure that the project development won't be interrupted uh, from the point of reaching some uh, hype and some initial glory of a new thing that came to the stage where it's uh, really ready and stable and people will recognize and use it. One question I've got is, okay, you're measuring things at one point in time, looking at a project. Things evolve <laughs> over time. How often do you go back and re-examine and sort of checkpoint your sort of list of projects that you think are worth working with? Yeah, that's really a very interesting part. And that's one of the challenges, of course, that it's, as you said, not in static. So it needs to be observed and compared over time and divide our focuses into at first, when we've discussing and developing some of the programs, so we thought of it in, in stages, but it turned out it's all in parallel. So I try to call it focus areas rather than stages. So one part is, of course, constantly monitoring the activity, whether we need to reach out to any project that seem inactive to understand uh, if they really go into a sunsetting phase or there is something that needs some more guidance. Or as you mentioned, they're just fine. There are no issues or no problems with them. And that's a regular activity that's done as often as possible. So quarterly, we try to focus on it on quarterly. Then another thing is to look into the newly created repos. This will be the stage after they've just been released. So they wouldn't probably focus on extending their community. As Ivana explained, they need to be stable and to have developed some processes within themselves until they're able to manage uh, also external contributors and working with more. So that's another area to work with that project. And the metrics that we have defined are some subset of the metrics we're using Flying Ogre, as we shared, but we've decided to use only a subset of metrics. We have developed a way to present it so that we don't mislead with too much information because sometimes much information is worse than no information at all. So we don't want people to start comparing among themselves without really understanding the background of each project and to be able to, to talk more with them. So we call some criteria healthy or at risk, where at risk doesn't mean unhealthy. It might just be something that we just need some more information for. That's the tricky part that it's really individual and it's hard to automate that part. So we look into the overall picture, but then we need to go into details and try to make it ad hoc if there is anything critical or at least on some regular basis. I certainly agree that too much data is sometimes worse than not enough. I'm just curious, in terms of the metrics, how many metrics do you actually keep standard for all the projects? Is it a dashboard that you're keeping across all the projects or how do you compare and contrast? As you said, to avoid a comparison, so we have defined four metrics that we apply to every project that we have, which is, of course, with some limitations because some of the metrics won't bring any valuable data or won't be interpreted if the projects weren't active or have less than certain amount of activity for the last six months. 
But for all that qualify, we apply these four metrics, which mostly monitor the activity, the contributor risks, and also the release frequency. And we keep them in a way accessible for each of the teams for them to look into. So they're accessible for everyone, but we have ordered them for a project so that because we think it's more valuable for the project to look in all of their metrics rather than to have overall comparison. So we leave the overall comparison mostly within the open source program office to it's because we can then work closely with the teams to understand the background. Do you basically take and look at the projects and all their dependencies as part of the whole? Is that the information you're presenting to the projects to look at and to the various teams inside that are working with them? Do you do full dependency analysis to then pull all the projects that potentially may be showing up? So with some of the projects, we know pretty well the dependencies, so we can combine them in groups which are within the company, but for others, we're not yet focused on the dependencies rather than understanding the where they stand, so the history behind. And we have also interesting use cases, as you certainly know that for the last year, we had several acquisitions of companies with many open source projects. That was another focus area, if I call it, to understand and to talk more closely and to see because Development models are different. The way organizations in GitHub are structured are different. So we wouldn't want to compare the data among these uh, different teams. Makes sense. Thank you. While open source software today is powering critical infrastructure, the open source ecosystem as a whole is rapidly changing, facing challenges for governance, maintenance, maintainer burnout, funding, marketing, and more. Are you concerned about these things for your open source software too? Well, in the Sustain community, we discuss these challenges and share solutions for how to sustain open source in the long haul. We meet once per year in person, and the rest of the time we keep the fire burning in our discourse forum. Join our conversations at sustainoss.org and sustainoss on Twitter. Stefka and Ivana, could you talk a little bit about what the reception has been within VMware with the teams and perhaps with management to use this data-driven approach to get a better understanding of the open source projects that originated VMware or the open source projects that VMware is depending on? Could you talk a little bit about just the internal organizational process and the reception within VMware? Yeah, I can start sharing the experience from the viewpoint of, of the team that usually would reach out and contact the maintainers of those projects to talk about project health and metrics. So I've mostly had uh, two main perception ways that repeat every time. So the one thing was that I've experienced was that teams really appreciated that someone else cares about their project health. Even though it's within the company and they know that we have compliance processes that we've talked about, or they've been contacted the open source program office, they really appreciate a lot that they're not the only one who look into how the project is going and also what can be done better or what would be just a good practice that they can learn. And we've shared with all of them also some more details about the chaos project. Some have been inspired to develop further metrics within their teams and monitor 
again, uh, using some of uh, the Kios uh, toolings or other sources that uh, are available open source. And that's been common for everyone. And the other thing that I also experienced was that when the daily work, uh, there are always high priority, uh, hot uh, cases that drive your attention out of the more strategic planning. And then bringing people to think about some of the indicators and ways they work with their community or do they consider diversity and inclusion enough or how they are organizing their documentation or questions like that. They really appreciate that they have now the focus on these topics, which would not always be on the higher list of priorities. And even uh, if they don't have the the resources or the time to start on activity, they just really appreciate the time spent on thinking about that areas. And one point that I've also recognized and I mentioned about looking into inactive and cleaning up, that has been especially the case with larger groups that knew that they have work to do to make sure that they look into their repositories and make sure that they have marked correctly what's been inactive but just haven't done it yet, they would start it right away. <laughs> After <laughs> talking about it, they just decide to put it on a higher priority and decide to do it. So it's mostly positive interpreted. It's not always that we can agree on certain topics as to whether type of document is important or not to be part of the, of the repository but it's important how we talk about it and that we discuss it and they could give their reasons and they're sometimes valid why they can't or shouldn't work on a particular topic. I'd like to add that developers are more focused on the roadmap usually and they want to work on the features to fix things and to focus on their project's development. And they, they hate writing documentation usually and don't like focusing on things like that are the, on the healthy side, even though it's a best practice. And that's why it's uh, very important how you approach a team and a community regarding the metrics. For example, in all the examples that Stefka shared, she somehow succeeds to share it the right way so that they say, oh, that's great. We'll make our project better. And in order to achieve that reaction, you just need to approach it in a way that they will understand that it's really important and uh, that it will help even in the things that they don't focus on and that this will make their project more successful. Yeah, it's really not true. So we avoid and don't really go into a conversation like that's the checklist and you must do and follow that guideline. It's rather explaining why we have developed certain rules, what the benefits are for the projects and the teams. And that comes also back to what I started with analyzing reasons for deprecating, of course, sometimes even doing your best and trying your best that you end up not getting enough community attention. And it might be that it's a really great idea, but it's specific only for a certain project or product sometimes, and it's not really widely adopted. And that's all we have. So we couldn't really push anyone to improve on things like that because it's uh, 
yeah, it's just that the, the use case. I think you, you raise a really interesting point that metrics and metrics alone may not work real well. It's the guidance that needs to be provided <laughs> based on what you learn from the metrics. And it really sounds like you were both doing a great job with working with the teams to bring the metrics forward, to show areas that might need a little bit more investigation, and then working with the teams and providing guidance to improve. So that's, I think that's great. Yeah, we are also learning from that exercise along the way. So it's, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, we try to introduce OWADS as a learning approach for both sides. When I am meeting member of a source project and I'm learning about more about the project, they're learning more about our work in terms of, in terms of project health and, and we are all filling our gaps. And uh, it doesn't mean that the, the good thing is that no one is perfect. So we have improvement opportunities. It's really great to hear how you're looking at these projects and having set of metrics to really engage the teams in conversations. And I would like to shift the conversation a little bit to the tooling that you're using. Rana, you had mentioned using Augur and even contributing to our chaos project, Augur. Maybe you can share a little bit how you came to the project and how the journey has been for you. I would like to start with uh, that Augur's community was very welcoming and it was uh, really nice to join and they shared a lot in advance so that it made the process much easier and faster for me. I joined uh, the community right after we acquired Pivotal because with that acquisition, uh, many use cases in evaluating project health appeared to our strategy team and they needed uh, those implemented so that it would ease their work. And that also helps the project because uh, with every new use case, they are our use case, but they might serve a lot of other people and companies that might have the same. One of the first things that uh, I did was related to filtering the information because uh, with Pivotal, there were a lot of new open source projects, some of them important some of them created just for as a scratch for something temporary but they still appear in the list of the organization some are archived some are forked just for some experiments and it's a lot of data that it's hard to orient yourself in and we added some information whether project is archived for example so that you can exclude all those use cases from your list and they might be a lot in a period of a year sometimes. And for example, information of forks, information of new repositories that appear in your organization so that you don't need to manually add them or just to always check if everything is available. And this is the one side of just easing the work with organization and all the repositories that are within it. We also, as Pivotal Joint VMware, we have some strong security policies of projects that we work with. And some of the very important criteria when we talk about the security is how frequently 
any security vulnerabilities are being addressed. And this is why I think it it officially exists as part of the important things to measure, but it wasn't available before that in Augur specifically to measure the release frequency and how often releases happen so that you can see that aspect of a project being active, how often it produces new releases that, for example, they have features, bug fixes, and this gives a lot of information how frequently any concerns are being addressed, any books are being fixed, and this is very useful information when evaluating an open source project. And the other thing that I worked on was just helping the people that work with Augur when they run all the workers and collect all the information. Sometimes you run the two organization that has thousands of repositories or run it against multiple organizations and you can imagine uh, the size of the logs and the other information there. And if you need to check if everything went well and to try to process all that information, it would be really hard to find if something happened, if you couldn't collect anything correctly. And we worked on providing some uh, better way of uh, finding problems. And automating, getting that information from the logs uh, automatically so that you can see only the problems that appeared during uh, while running Cogar. And this was with help to the people that use the tool to collect information. And yeah, we are also going to do some refactoring improvements of uh, the project in future from now on. Can you give some more examples of the types of improvements you'd like to be seeing showing up in Augur? I think Stefka has something here. She, we talked about customization before that and that when you're from a program office, you don't uh, want your information to be public, not at least not all the information and you need to customize how all the tooling, uh, the UI. So I think she can add more as the end user of Augur. Yeah, it was great. Uh, everything that you shared on what you've been working on, it's definitely been a lot of, it's what was really useful for all the work that then I shared about going into comparing. It just helps way more when you better filter the data, focus on, and for that comparison reasons of not really comparing an inactive repo with an active one, (laughs) of course. But on the other hand, what I've also previously shared was that we just, as introducing all the metrics in uh, the company, we try to avoid driving conclusions or driving behavior in directions that we don't want to. So it's as we shared, it's important to understand what's been the model and what's behind. And for that reason, we have decided on starting with few metrics at first that are visible for everyone. Of course, as we are sharing that everyone can work on developing themselves or using Cogar to derive more of the metrics, and some do, but we didn't want to use all of the especially some of the graphical representations as they might be 
just some sometimes misleading for certain projects. That's why, yeah, we've been talking with Ivana that probably a faster ways to customize some of so the way some of the graphics are represented or some. It might be more useful for our scenario in terms of open source program office looking into major different projects as well as for the projects themselves, because once they start working on, they decide on. And that's also probably as someone who would be new and want to start with it. Of course, that's a great solid ground to step on all the work within Chaos Project, all the discussions around the metrics and other different working groups there, but also some more critical mindset. It's good to be inspired in a way to develop certain checklists, what's applicable or not for certain level of maturity of the project or certain community types, just to have this. And I'd like to add, as Steph mentioned, different criteria for different projects, just to share an example. Just imagine you have one starting project that you develop at the moment. It will have a very different measurement rather than a stable one. For example, when you start something, you add a bunch of features, fixes, uh, you proceed fast, you merge uh, without that much evaluation of, uh, and, and without being so strict with everything because you need to start faster. And with the time you start adding the criteria, more CI, CD, more to, to be more precise on how things are getting merged to even do some refactoring if you didn't start something the best way. But uh, it's usually how projects are approached at the beginning, at least uh, most of them, most of uh, the project I've been observing and being part of at the beginning. And uh, this is why, for example, if you are looking at metrics of a starting project and you see all the pull requests are being merged without reviews, for example, that's a corner case. It rarely happens, but just imagine that things are getting merged very fast and uh, some good advices are not followed. You might think that there is something wrong with that project, but it's just a starting one. And uh, you cannot compare it with a stable one that has more strict criteria regarding a certain metrics. And this is why it's important to pay attention to the specifics and that every project and area has them and that they need to be evaluated differently. We are coming to the end of this episode of Chaos Cast. There's so much more that I think we'll be unpacking in upcoming chaos meetings. So thank you for sparking some new ideas and thoughts here. For listeners who would like to maybe connect with you or follow the progress of your work, where can they find you online? Yeah, besides, as you already heard, participating in the events that will be virtual for an indefinite period of time. Of course, uh, we are also active within the VMware blog, the open source blog. So we had recent posts and some ideas of other posts. And of course, you can find us also on LinkedIn. And as chaos contributors, I hope we'll be more active as well there in the community. That's fantastic. And we always like to round these Chaos Cast episodes up with a section we call value adds or picks, where we like to share something 
that we recently discovered that has brought value or meaning to our lives can be open source related or something different. And I would like to highlight something that I, last week I attended the webinar by the Linux Foundation on the new LFX Insights platform. And it's a remarkable tool that they developed. For one, they used the Chaos technology. They used the Chaos Grimoire Lab project to build on, and then they took it to a whole next level with the kinds of insights that you get and adding new data sources, like I mentioned earlier, bringing in news mentions. So we have a share of voice implementation that we have never seen before. I think it's a really cool service that is being provided to the projects. And my understanding is it's open to any open source project, not just Linux Foundation projects. So go ahead, check it out. Might be something useful for you as well. Kate, do you want to go next? Thank you. One of the things I was listening to LinuxConf Australia over the weekend, and there was one talk there that I learned a lot from. It's called the Privacy Tax. And it is how tracking and hacking is affecting disabled people. And it was given by Don Collett. And so I'm sure that the video should probably be posted. And I encourage people who are looking at diversity inclusion issues to definitely check it out. I thought it was a really good use of an hour on Saturday night. (laughs) Thank you, Kate. I'll check it out. Matt, do you want to go? Yeah, sure. So I I will just say it was a real pleasure to learn from both Stefka and Ivana during this podcast. So thank you for that. My pick is that I'm really into baking right now. It has nothing to do with open source. So this weekend, I made an espresso chocolate cake with a chocolate buttercream frosting, which was really quite good. (laughs) I still have some downstairs. I didn't eat a whole cake this weekend. And honestly, I have so many things. So if you ever want some baked goodies, just send me a note. Happy to share. Thank you, Matt. Stefka, do you have a value add you want to share? I actually uh, probably inspired by the previous conversation and starting by the uh, topic on failures. A quote came to my mind, which is from researcher on vulnerability, Brené Brown. Uh, you might have heard about her. So she has a quote that there is no innovation and creativity without failure. <laughs> so I really love that. Yeah, it's been with me also throughout the weekend as I've I tried to spend my weekends in the mountains, uh, hiking or sometimes guiding. And when the weather is bad, which was last weekend, to just go further and it's fine. (laughs) It's not really, but at least you try. So that quote was with me for the last couple of days and it continued with that uh, discussion. Wonderful. Vana? I also, as Matt shared, I learned to make homemade chocolate (laughs) during the vacation and find out how much uh, focusing on side things that you love can actually help you even professionally because everything you do in one area changes your way of thinking somehow and applies in every other area that you work on. And I have a tens of hobbies and I found them somehow related, even though being very different. And I think that it's very useful to focus on various things, and this makes you even better professional sometimes. Well said. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And it's this time for us to say thank you. Thank you, Stefka and Vana, for joining us today. 
was a pleasure talking with you and learning from you. Thank you, too. Thank you for the invitation. It was really a pleasure talking about the various topics. Thank you to Matt and Kate for joining us as panelists today. Thanks, you. And thank you very much, Stefana. Very good discussion. Thank you for joining. And thank you to you, dear listener, for joining us today. To stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. If you have ideas for future episode topics or would even like to come on as a guest, please email us podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, your chaos community.